Hello. Um, I bring you greetings from a very amazing and special person who I refer to as my wife, um, who is still recovering from this um, ridiculous thing that she has had. Um, if you weren't here last time, so Deb had the flu, then she had COVID, and then she had this influenza, um, which is kind of a bacterial infection rather than a virus, but it tends to take a bit of a toll. And um, so does not being able to find any of my notes. There it is. Um, yeah, it tends to take a little bit of a toll and it's just taking her a whole lot longer to recover. And the moment that she feels a bit of energy, she gets up and does something and then it takes it a day to, a day to recover. Um, so it'd be really good if that stopped. So it'd be great, you know, if, if any of you believe in praying, which I hope really is all of you. <laughs> um, that would be really awesome if you could pray for her. And I'm sure, hi, babe. Um, she's watching right now. Um, but yes, I'm sure she would appreciate that. But that is why she was not here. She kind of wanted to be, but she knew that if she was here, she'd get really excited to see everyone and it would use up her, all of her energy and then she'd be back where she started. So she is being very disciplined and very good. Um, it's been quite a week. Um, in case you missed it, um, there has been some very significant global events this week. Um, in the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. And my goodness, what an amazing, incredible woman um, she was. And just such an example of faith and duty and unwavering service. I tell you, I wouldn't want to have met her in a dark alley either. I reckon she is tough as nails, um, but, um, but had a heart of gold as well. And um, yeah, I was feeling quite emotional about that on Friday, I must confess, um, because, yeah, she was an amazing... And we've never known, looking around the room, I don't think there's anyone that was alive when she became queen. You weren't. <laughs> when, when she first became queen. Um, and so this is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And Scripture does tell us to pray for kings and all of those in authority. And right now, I think it would be really awesome for us to pray for our new king, yeah? Yeah, so let's stand together. This is, this is a significant moment globally. And, um, you know, my spirit is very stirred around moments like this. And, you know, there is a significant changing of the guard that I think is happening across the earth right now. Um, but this one in particular... Um, I want us to pray for Charles that as the, as the mantle of leadership rests upon him, so will the presence and power of the Holy Spirit um, as well. So let's pray together. Father, we want to recognise and we want to honour um, Queen Elizabeth, um, who has been such an incredible and wonderful servant. And God, thank you for giving us good leadership um, in our Queen. And Father, we want to pray for Charles, our King, and your scripture commands us to pray for kings and all those in authority. And so today, Father, we pray for him. And God, as the mantle of kingship comes upon him, Father, we ask that your, with that, your spirit would come upon him in power as, as he assumes the role of the head of the Church of England, um, as well as, as the monarch over the entire United Kingdom. Father, we ask that your spirit would rest upon him with that mantle. Father, that he would encounter you, that, that he would be directed, that he would be guided by you. Um, and that that legacy of faith that came from his mother um, would be manifested and made real in his life. God, we, we pray for that family who are grieving 
um, profoundly right now. Father, we ask for your spirit of comfort all around them. God, we ask for all of the messes and, and the, the stuff that has been in that family. Father, we ask for your peace to come, for reconciliation, for healing to come. Um, and Father, may Charles rule righteously. May he be a king who rules righteously and who rules with your heart. Father, we bless him. We pray for him. We lift him up to you. And we say, Father, let your spirit be upon him in power. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You can be seated. And if you have your Bible there, I want to look at a passage we haven't looked at for at least two weeks. Um, Isaiah 61. If you want to open there, again, you know, if you haven't got it memorized yet, this will, uh, this will only help you. So two weeks ago when we were together, I unpacked the, this concept of the, spirit of the spirit of Elijah. How many of you weren't here last, two weeks ago? Was there a few of you? There was a few of you. Can I encourage you, because I can't recap the entire thing or we'll be here for twice as long and that probably won't serve us well. Um, can I encourage you to get a hold of that? It's up on Facebook. It will be up on the podcast um, imminently, um, but it is up on Facebook because you know, we, we went live with that. And... The spirit of Elijah is not just a prophetic spirit. It is a fathering anointing. Uh, and we see in Malachi, the Italian prophet, or Malachi chapter four, it says, in the last days, um, the spirit of Elijah will come to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And we see the mantle or the spirit of Elijah um, on John the Baptist as well. And then Jesus also said in Mark chapter nine, and I may look at that very shortly, that not only has the spirit of Elijah come, but it will also come. So he, he looked forward and said, this spirit is a spirit that prepares the way of the Lord. And what we looked at was in Isaiah 61, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And where we, where we left it was this idea that Part of our commission is we have been sent to heal the brokenhearted and that ministry that heals broken hearts, that, that fathering and mothering anointing, that, that heals families and heals hearts is what prepares the way of the Lord. And we often think that if, if we can just get people saved, then their hearts will get healed. And we kind of think in that sort of order. It's the most natural thing. Let's get them saved and then let's get them healed up. But actually the spirit of Elijah says something a little different to that. And that is, if we can go after the hearts and the healing and wholeness of the heart, that prepares the way of the Lord, opens up their hearts and then the harvest comes. So it's a little bit of a different way around. But we see really clearly this theme that the spirit of Elijah prepares the way of the Lord. And it is that spirit that turns the hearts. It's not just the heads or the brains, it turns the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. So he has anointed you. And I think we've got the idea by now that when Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, that these verses talk about the commission on us. Okay, in John 20, as Jesus was about to, you know, take off, as he did, really neat trick, I've got to say, to be able to just go, hey, I'm out of here, and, you know, get taken up into heaven. Um, that's better than an Uber. 
But um, he said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So that means something. That means the nature of the sending. Now, obviously he didn't send us to die for the sins of the world. That's what Jesus was sent for. But this spirit that was on Jesus comes upon us. And he says, he's anointed you to preach good news and then he's sent you to heal the brokenhearted. So the anointing comes upon you to serve what you were sent to do. So there's, you're anointed. So in other words, so when, if John is anointed, there is presence and power upon him for a purpose. And then he gets sent with that anointing to do something with it. So the anointing to preach the gospel was put on us and then we were sent out to use that anointing to heal hearts. You with me? All right. So we are to preach the gospel in such a way that it is characterised by the power to heal hearts and reconcile families. Do I need to say, is this working, Kel? All right, yeah. Thanks. We have been sent, we have been anointed to preach the gospel in such a way that is characterised by the, ha- the power to heal people's hearts and heal broken families. That's what we have been sent for. That is the nature of the commission. Now, what I want to do, what I want to look at is a part of this that we, yeah, we read this, this chapter a whole lot. Um, but I want to focus in on verses, particularly verse four. Because what we see in the beginning of Isaiah 61 is what the anointing of God will do. Then we see in verse four, what will the people do who are the recipients of what God did? Did, did you catch that? If you caught that, you're very good. So God does something that does something to these people. And we see that. These are the verses. So liberty to the captives, opening of prison doors to those who are bound, um, comforting all who mourn, console those who mourn in Zion, beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness, and so on we go. They will become oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendour. So that's what the anointing will work in people. We got that idea. So they will go from all of this garbage, all of this messed up stuff, to become a planting of the Lord, an, an oak. Yeah, oaks, if, you, if you've seen a full-sized oak, they're not that easy to push over. Okay, so this is something of incredible strength. It's deeply grounded. It's, its foundations are solid and firm. It is unmovable. It has gone from prisoner, captive, broken, mourning, depressed, despairing, all of that stuff. <coughs> Can't reverse park. Two, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendour, an oak of righteousness. Then, so that, that's what the anointing will do to these people. It'll take them from that and turn them into this. This next verse then is, what will this do? You with me? Yeah? Oh, good. So, it says, they shall rebuild the old ruins. They will raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. This is what this healed up army will do, who were once prisoners, who were once captive, who were once blind, oppressed, depressed, heavy, These people, 
I got to go out and rebuild ruined cities and repair or restore desolations that have been for many generations. In other words, as the Spirit of God works in you and heals you, He will then use you to break generational cycles of brokenness, dysfunction, and pain. Now, what do I mean by generational cycles? It's like, well, my father had it. His father before him had it. His father before him had it. And whether that's an illness or a disease, an infirmity, whether that's an addiction, whether that's depression, anxiety, whatever it is, this anointing that comes as we get healed smashes at the heart of generational brokenness. And that, that is who, that, that is what we are called to. That is who we are called to be. We are those people that will rebuild the old ruins that will raise up former desolations. So, you know, desolation, think of that as a word. This is not just, yeah, it's a bit messed up. When something is a ruined and a desolation, think of like a moonscape. Like it, was, you know, it could have been green, but it's an absolute moonscape. It's kind of what you would get after some kind of nuclear holocaust. It's just, it's, 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 it's a desolation. And you and me are placed right in the middle of that. Anointed and sent into that to not only deal with what's in front of us, but the generational cycles that produced what's in front of us so that it doesn't produce again in the next generation. Does this sound like fun yet? Yeah? This is like, this is, this is I, I don't want to make light of people's brokenness, but this is Christian recreation. This is where we get to mess with generational cycles of crap and turn it into something amazing. This is, the, this is some of the best stuff we get to do. Interesting, we talked about the spirit of Elijah in Mark chapter 9. This is where Jesus says, so right after the transfiguration, if you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there, Moses, Elijah show up, um, Peter who is half asleep and still talking as he was known for. Boy, do I resonate with Peter um, many times. <laughs> says this, oh, well, let's set up a tent for Moses and Elijah. And apparently, depending which gospel you read, it says he didn't really know what he was saying. But then Moses and Elijah poof, kind of went off. And naturally, the disciples after that point had a few questions for Jesus after an experience like that, where Jesus turns like, you know, white as wool. Moses shows up, Elijah shows up. I find it interesting that they recognised who they were because these are people that lived how long before them? Like at least 12 generations, I think, before at least. And they recognised them. That's kind of cool. Whether Jesus says, hey, guys, this is Mo, this is Eli. <laughs> Probably not, given, you know, the context. But, but then, so they asked him, this is the disciples said, Jesus, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And then he says, you know, a verse later, but I say to you that Elijah has also come. So there is this dual time thing of this spirit has been and it will come again. But this spirit is a spirit, of, this spirit on Elijah is a spirit of restoration. He will restore all things. It's that same spirit that we are called to walk in that prepares the way of the Lord. Um, you know, given, given this is the week where, um, 
you know, saying goodbye to royalty. I, I remember back, uh, and it's partly because I really love piano vocal music as well, and you know, Elton John is one of the, he's many things, and he is also one of the best, most phenomenal piano vocalists the world has seen. And he, if you remember, he wrote the song that was sung at Diana's funeral. And one of, the, one of the phrases in that that he was using to speak of Diana was, you are the grace that placed itself where lives were torn apart. This is the, you know, the, the redone version of Candle in the Wind. To me, that, that phrase is such a prophetic picture of who we are called to be. We are the grace. We are the empowering presence, justice and mercy of God that has been placed where there is brokenness in order to bring transformation. That, that's who we are. Hello? <laughs> okay. So God places you as the grace that shows up in the middle of their brokenness. It's funny. This happened to me on Friday. I have this uncanny knack of turning up somewhere and all of a sudden someone whose life is falling apart or something crazy is happening, just the phone rings or whatever. I was was with a colleague over the other side of the city and we were were talking about a project that we were going to potentially work together on. And this client in the middle of, you know, out of nowhere, calls up my friend um, and is like, we are in real trouble. We need to talk to you right now. And my friend was kind of like getting a bit nervous and whatever. I'm like, let's go. This is where we get to do our best week. He said, give me five minutes. We'll go into the office, shut the door. I'll put you on speakerphone. I've got one of my colleagues with you here. And you know, he's like, I've never had this happen before. I'm like, oh, really? I kind of thought this was normal <laughs> because it just seems to happen that stuff blows up and it's like, Oh, well, it looks like it's good that I'm here then. Let's go. Um, and understanding that we should expect that kind of deal of when stuff is falling apart, God places you right there, not to traumatise you or torment you, but because you carry the grace that is needed for that situation. So this is the deal. So not only do we get all of that stuff in the first half of Isaiah 61, we get healed, we get delivered, we get set free, the spirit of heaviness comes, they're all good stuff to be rid of, right? But then it says these people that were the recipients of that, who were once broken, that were the recipients of that, are now going to go and smash down generational cycles of brokenness and dysfunction. Yeah, that's you. That's me. This is what we are called to. So one of the questions I want to ask, and again, I've got a kind of a statement here that is probably grammatically interesting, but why do you need healing beyond the fact that you need healing? This is the question. So why, why do you need healing beyond the fact that, well, obviously because you need healing. We all need that, right? If you've been long, alive longer than 20 minutes, someone's probably hurt you, wounded you, Bad stuff has happened that has wounded your heart and God wants to heal that. But why do you need healing beyond that? I want to to give you two kind of suggestions because I believe it's time that we as a community start looking out like in a way that we never have yet in the 10 years or so that we've been together. Um, when we first came together, and some of, you, some of you were here then, some of you weren't. When we first came together, there were a whole lot of us that were in church rehab, if we were to be honest. 
you know, we're, they're, they're, yeah, there, are, there are a lot of people that were carrying some, I'm not doing this anymore kind of stuff, but still showed up and said, I'm at least going to show up. And so we just spent a lot of time working through a lot of that stuff. But I'm feeling this tug of the Father and this picture that was shared with me um, just on Friday was this picture of like being asleep in bed and the Father coming in and just tugging on the toe and saying, come on, son, it's time to wake up. And it's like, that, that, that's the picture right now that he's saying to us as a body. It's like he's coming in and saying, you know what? He's given us a time of rest and comfort and a time to get ourselves healed and whole. And now he's coming in and he's pulling on the toe and he's going... Okay, son, time to wake up. There's stuff to do. So why do you need to be healed? Why do you need healing? Why do you need to be beyond the fact that Jesus doesn't want you in pain and broken and hurting? I think, I think after 10 years, I think we've kind of covered that, that part. Two reasons. One is because as you get healed, it gives you an anointing. See, when you have overcome something, when you have broken through something, when God has healed you of something and you have come out the other side whole, that gives you an anointing to set others free in that same area. And it gives you a level of love and compassion and empathy because you get it. You understand what they're going through from a very real perspective because you've been there. You've walked the journey. And part of, I believe, when it says the day of vengeance of our God um, in verse 2 of Isaiah 61, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. I've said this for years. One of, the, one of the aspects of the day of vengeance of our God is God takes vengeance on the enemy by taking your captivity and turning it into a ministry to set other people free in the very area that you were once held captive but are now free. That, that's part of the vengeance of God. And the enemy ends up going, you know, I really wish I never touched them in that area. That's cool vengeance on the enemy. I wish I never touched them in that area because look what they're doing now. Now they're way more dangerous than they were before. This is where I reckon it would really suck to be the enemy. Because <laughs> whatever he does ends up getting used against him. And he ends up more defeated than he was before. Just a thought. So it gives you an anointing. That's the first reason. And the second thing is it gives you a story to tell. People can argue apologetics, they can argue theology, but they can't argue a story. You know, the, the, the oldest story in the book, you know, um, the, literally in the book, you know, I don't know who he was or what he did, but this I know. I was once blind, but now I see. No one can argue with the testimony. Is your back still good? Are you okay to share this? Come on out, Michael. Um, where's the, can I have the mic there? Is this picking up recording and everything as well? This is Michael. Hey, guys. Michael is an awesome guy. <laughs> I love this man. Um, he's South African. You'll hear that very clear, but I do have a very big heart for the South Africans. Now, quickly tell me, this is Four weeks ago. It's about a month ago. About a month ago, yeah. So, yeah. What, what, what was happening for you? I battled with my back for about 10 years, and it's just got worse and worse and worse the last sort of six months really bad to the point that I couldn't, you know, walk three, 400 metres. And I was at prayer for it, et cetera, et cetera, and we were outside, and I was sitting in the car, and Tim said to me, why are you in the car battling with a back pain? 
So you're less, give no. it a score. How, out of ten, how, how... Oh, look, it was a good eight or nine. Okay, uh, you so know this is I mean? one just oh, a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. This no, was, no, 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 no. This, okay. is, this is bad. I can't sleep, can't walk, can't exercise. And, um, yeah, it was... He just said, let's pray for it right now. And I thought, I've had so many people pray for my back. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and... Um, just catch, it, catch that for a moment. I've had so many people pray for this, but, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you, you, this is not the only person that's ever said that, right? All right, go on. <laughs> anyway, just so, wanted to catch that. That's important. Yeah, Don't, it, sometimes it only takes one more. Go on. It, it was it was amazing. He just put his hand on my lower back and started praying and breaking off generational things and just just praying. And I sort of felt like a a little flutter, like a, somebody blew a bit of wind on the bottom of my back. It's like it's like did, did that really happen? And then he said, "Well, test. You know, bend over and see." And I sort of moved and this and that and hey, there's no pain. No, hang on, maybe this yeah, can't be right. And then sort of moved again and again and just gone. But I mean, not like a little bit, just gone. And I mean, it's been gone ever since. Yeah, no, no issue at all. <laughs> Pretty awesome. How good is that? Thank you for sharing, Michael. Now, that was, that was out in the car park just out there. And who was it? I think, was it Jeanette? Did you walk out and you see him kind of going like this? And do, who, who else? Who, who was that? That was Donna, that's right. You remember, you, like, because, you know, when you were, you said you used to be out, but you would move and you could hear it click five metres away. And you walk out, I remember the look on your face, like, well, Michael's doing this funny dance, whoops. Going, what is going on? And you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. Like, it was, it was so cool. Well, of course he does a South African accent better than me. Like, <laughs> I try. Okay, I need to eat more of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It tastes like dirt, but anyway. Um, but how good? How good is that? Ten years, thank you, Sammy. Ten years of pain gone in a moment. But not only was... So there's a couple of points that I, I was kind of hoping you'd be here tonight. Um, <laughs> because it's way better coming from you. Um, one of them is, that was a generational cycle. Like, your, your, your mother had had bad, really bad back nerve pain as well. And I had had one of these like this before, where um, a family who did lots of physical stuff, because, you know, you're involved in construction industry and all, and you do lots and lots of stuff. And I'd had this before, where someone had walked into church with, like, 10 out of 10 pain. Um, I think it was they couldn't stand up all through, the, all through the service. Prayed for him at the end. Long story, you know, I said, has this happened in your family? Because I felt like this was a generational thing. And he said, oh, yeah, my dad had a bad back. His grandfather before. Yeah, his father and my grandfather before. We're, we've all got bad backs. I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> um, and so I prayed against the generational spirit of affliction. Um, because sometimes the stuff that we're facing is not physical, it's actually spiritual. And this, in same deal, was a generational spirit of affliction. It's not his fault that it was there. <laughs> it, was, it was passed down. Um, but we think it's normal. And then in that moment, simply taking the sword of the spirit to that generational thing, Gonski. Yeah, just yay. Like, yay God. Now, here's the thing. If someone tried to come and say to Michael... I'm not sure that God heals today. I'm not sure that's biblical. You, you can't outdo us. It's like, I don't know about your theology, but let me tell you a story. 
and you cannot tell me that's not real. You get the idea, when you get healed, and whether this is physically like that or whether this is emotionally, whether you've battled anxiety, depression, and you've found breakthrough and someone is battling the same thing, you've got a story to tell. And people might want to argue theology and say, oh, it's Jesus. It is like, hey, let me just tell This is my experience. Here's my story. So getting healed in an area gives you an anointing and it also gives you a story. And it is part of your story that starts to build the bridge. That as someone's talking to you and they're describing their life, so often we sit back and go, oh, gee, that's horrible. I'm really sorry. And then off we go and we think, oh, gee, it'd be good if you healed them, Jesus. How about a different kind of engagement? How about a, hey, that sounds like it really sucks. You know you don't have to live with that. Simple bridge. Yeah, you don't have to live with that. What do you mean? Well, can I tell you a story? Let me tell you what happened for me. Replay the tape. (laughs) Wow, that's crazy, really? Yeah. And this is where you can even pull out the scripture and go, here, just have a quick read of this verse here. And nowadays, the fun, you know, 20 years ago, they go, oh yeah, that's a Bible. These days, a whole lot of people will go, what's that? With no idea of the power that's in there. And almost, it's a bit sad that they don't know what it is, but in some way, it's such an opportunity. Because they might, they'll look at that and go, wow, that's powerful. It's like, I've battled with depression my whole life. Wow, I had that too. You know, you don't have to stay there. Let me tell you my story. And then we open up John 10.10 and said, here, just have a read of this. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. And who said that? I don't know if you'd believe me if I told you. Now, who, who? You have a story? This story has not been vetted by our sponsors, but I'm sure it's awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, Megan Edwin. Now, just come this way a little so that you're on the, yeah. This is a very recent story. Literally this week, chatting to my neighbour. He was helping me clean my car, which I sold. Woo! Go on. Um, Ah, young boy. (laughs) Anyways, talking to him, he suffers from a lot of anxiety. He's on a lot of medication. And he was telling me that it gets so bad that sometimes when he goes to bed at night, he just, as, as soon as he lies down, it all comes. He has to get up, walk around and just kind of, shake it off and this is an ongoing chronic thing and I just said to him I actually used to suffer from anxiety I actually went to hospital one time with a panic attack that anxiety was so big for me and I had it since I was 12 and I said but I got free of that and I told him a bit of my story of how I got free from anxiety he goes oh yeah and nothing really came of it he came back the next day and said I want to get free of anxiety I want to get off my meds and I want you to help me and I'm going to pay you Oh, come on. That's as far as we got, <laughs> To be continued. <laughs> How cool is that? How, because exactly what you're describing, when, when I tell you what I'm about to, when I say what I'm about to say, I won't tell, I'll just say it. Um, that is such a prophetic thing right there. That is so, so cool. Um, it seems to have been a bit of a week of it. I had a client earlier in the week that had been advised to get into some you know, a really spiritual meditation practice. And I just said, hey, you know what? 
you know, things like mindfulness, that, that, that stuff's really good. But the stuff they're suggesting, that's got a whole lot of spiritual baggage attached. I don't know if you're going to want that stuff. It's like, oh, really? That's interesting. Opened up a whole conversation <laughs> that went for quite some time. Um, that's about all I can say about it, unfortunately. It's way cooler than what I can say. But um, just from a simple little bridge of, hey, you know what? And I think, you know, sometimes in times gone past, I would have just gone, let, let that through to the keeper. But something's happening at the moment. I'm just like, no, I'm not letting this stuff through to the keeper anymore. And we got to speak up. But we just need sometimes these bridges of language that say, hey, you know, you have to put up with that stuff. You realise... Yeah, and then tell your story. And especially the, the way that the anointing of God works is it acts like a magnet and draws to you the problems that you have an anointing to fix. So this was the example of me with one of my business colleagues on Friday um, where it seems problems like what appeared on speakerphone unplanned in that moment, that's the sort of stuff that appears where I show up all the time. The number of times I'll turn up at a client site and they'll go, oh, I'm really glad you're here. We need your help with this. I'm like, all right, looks like that's the assignment for the day. Let's go. This, this is what happens when you have a testimony and a story, those situations start to get attracted to you. Now, if you don't understand what's going on, you might think that's a spiritual attack sent to re-traumatise you. Because it's like, I've dealt with that stuff. I don't want that in my face anymore. No, God's sending you back in to rescue the other captives. He's sending you back into the burning building to pull these people out and rescue and save them. So it gives you a story to tell. It gives you an anointing. And so, you know, my life's a mess. It's like, well, let, let me read you this verse. And this is actually straight out of Isaiah 61 again. This is verses 6 and 7 out of the Passion Translation. It says, "'You'll be known as priests of Yahweh, "'called servants of our God. "'You will feast on the wealth of nations.'" At verse 7 is what I wanted to hear. Because you received a double dose of shame and dishonour, you will inherit a double portion of endless joy and everlasting bliss. So imagine just putting verse 7 and say, hey, just, just have a, I know, what, I, I, you know, I hear what you're going through. That sounds like it sucks. Just have a read of this and tell me, does that interest you? Well, that sounds pretty good, but that's so far out of my experience. Let me tell you a story. And all of a sudden, the door is wide open. You're getting my drift here? Because I believe it is time that we started looking out, like I said, like we never have before. We have worked really, really hard over the last 10 years to create an environment that is safe for people to come and to fall apart. And many of you, many of us have taken that opportunity to just walk in and fall to pieces and hopefully be loved through that process. There are a whole lot more people that need that than those who are in the room right now. And it's like I said, the father's walking into the room, pulling on our tongue, saying, come on, it's time to wake up. We've got stuff to do. We've got a world that we need to heal. Now, there, there is a working together of what we do individually and what we do corporately. So let me give you a simple example. So what would it be like, Megs? Let's say... Yeah, you had that conversation on Friday. But let's say you knew in four weeks' time our yet-to-be-formed but in-process transformation centre was running a few-week series on anxiety for the community. We're saying, hey, we've actually 
spent a lot of time in this area. We've had breakthrough in this area ourselves and we're actually running a workshop over three Tuesday nights starting in a few weeks' time. Would you come along? I'll come with you. So if we're going to do that, I need more than two people. So if, I, if I'm going to put my time into this, which I will, because this is stuff that we've been wanting to do for years. But like I said last week, Deb and I can't do this alone. This has to be a community thing. And so one of the things we could do is we could take out all these Facebook ads and we could actually create more of a demand than we would ever be able to fill and we would burn ourselves into the ground doing it. And that would be the typical churchy event paradigm way of doing stuff. But what does a family paradigm look like? Well, the family paradigm looks like is they come with you. You're their friend. You bring them along. And you say, hey, I'll come with you. I'll walk with you. I'll sit with you. I'll, you know, I will support you through this journey. And that way, your individual stuff that you just happen to be doing out in the street, outside your house, starts to match with what we are doing corporately and the more that that happens, this transformation centre that we've talked about for many, many years suddenly starts to become something we're going to need government funding for because it's too big and we've got too much demand. But it starts in a paradigm of family and relationship. It doesn't just start with let's grab random people off the street. You know, we'll probably get there. But first, let's start in a relational paradigm. Let's start with us having those conversations. Hey, you know, that doesn't have to be a story. Well, what do you mean? I've never known anything different. Just have a look at this. Can I tell you a story? Hey, and it just so happens that we've got this thing that we do that is just for people like you. If I came along with you, would you be interested? You're getting my drift? This is where we start to build a really simple practical bridge that takes what we've been doing here and ploughing here for years and years and years and starts to intentionally point it outward. But it's not outside of relationship. It's in the context of family. And, was it, you know that slide I showed you? The third one? That's the one. This was a word, I, I talked about this a few weeks, a few Sundays back, a few Sunday gatherings back. This was a word from Nate Johnson. This is just the back end of it. Talking about church, we've been in silos, fishbowls and exclusive cliques while a hurting world needs nothing more than a safe place to come in and fall in a heap. You remember this, those who were here a few weeks back? But those days are coming to an end because God is pouring out his heart across the earth and calling mothers and fathers to simply set the table. Yet we've been talking about the adoptive heart and the adoptive heart just simply starts with, I've got room in my heart for you. You know, next door neighbour, I've got room in my heart for you. Your pain matters to me. Your struggle matters to somebody. And actually, you know, that is the first place of healing anyone's heart is when somebody realises not just that their pain can be healed, but their pain matters to someone. That's the beginning of the journey. Mothers and fathers, people with that adoptive heart simply set the table. And then it says, and the lonely and the lost will come running. So it's time we got some practice at setting the table, eh? One of the things we've found out over this year through several different, um, several different events is mental health facilities do not have enough resources to deal with the amount of anxiety and depression that is coming through their doors. They just simply don't have the resources for it. I'm sure, Shell, in school, you see it. You know, any of you who are teachers that work in schools, I know there's a few of you, 
um, it's off the chain. And this is, you know, for you guys, this is in Christian schools, and we're seeing it in the state schools um, as well. If the harvest wasn't ripe now, when is it? It's like the world is like, they're looking for an answer to their pain, and at the moment, they're anesthetized with Netflix and social media. And the, the end result of that, yeah, that will open up a can. I'm not going to open that right now. But if they stay anesthetized for too long, where our nation will end up is not good. But this wake up out of your sleep, wake up out of your anesthetized state for us, and then let's wake them up and say, hey, come along to this. You know, share your story, do the stuff one-on-one, but then we create an environment together where we equip and resource people to have those conversations, but then we actually show people how to get their hearts healed. Out in the corporate world right now, the hunger level for this is off the chain. Yeah, I have people that's like, how can we get more of this? How can we, how can, can we get more? Can I pay you myself? Can I, like, there is just this incredible hunger that the moment you step out somewhere outside the world and have an honest conversation with people about heart stuff, they're like, help me. And I reckon we've got something to offer that. Right here. Imagine families that are broken, hurting, and are struggling. Hey, we've, we've actually found some keys that can really help some families, and we've seen families actually restored that, that were falling apart. Is, is that something that you'd be interested in? What? You mean there's hope? Yeah. Well, we don't have a 100% success rate, but we've certainly seen a whole lot. Is it worth a try? (laughs) And at least they know that they're loved and that their pain matters to someone. Even if they never show up, their pain matters to someone and we've started building bridges. Like nothing may come of it on that day, but the next day they might come back and go, hey, I've been thinking about what you said. Help me. (laughs) So, what will happen with those who God did what he did to? (laughs) I said it better last time. And I shouldn't have shut my notes because it was written there and that was better. Oh, actually, no, it is. What, this is what those that God did to will do. They'll renew the desolated cities. They'll restore places. Long devastated, devastated for generations. Now, Jonathan saw something um, in prayer beforehand, and this is where we're going to kind of bring it into land, hopefully. (laughs) Moses. This is Jonathan. You know Jonathan. He's awesome. Tell tell us the picture you saw earlier, mate. So um, I was through praying over the last couple of days and um, really got a picture of when Moses, I suppose, got his commission. And at that point in time, he was... um, it was very early on, and so he he came up with this was the burning bush, and he said, and God was saying, "What have you got?" And he says, "Just a staff." And then through the next bit of passages, Moses comes up with all the excuses in the world why he can't do it, he can't go and rescue his people. 
they're not going to listen to me, what can, you know. And basically, God is going, you know, I can't speak. Okay? God says, I'm going to give you the words. And even with that, he still comes up with other scenarios that come through. And I really feel that there's really a push through that, through that, that now is the, the time that God is saying, you know, you may not think that you've got much. He says, but I can take whatever you, you have, what life experiences that you have, and really, and for us to say, you've got whatever you've gone through, and I'm prepared to work and give you the words and give you everything that I need to, to reach the people that I want you to save and go and help and rescue and pull out of where they are. And that's, that's where I've been, that's I feel. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Give him a hand. Do you get that? Moses came up with all the excuses. And as I'm talking about all this stuff right now, I would just about guarantee there's at least one, if not 30 or 40, in the room who are going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. All the excuses, all of the, yeah, but God, I'm not fully healed yet. And all he's saying is, what's in your hand? Just show me what's in your hand. That's all he needs. What's in your hand? Well, I did get breakthrough in this. Let's start there, hey. That's all it takes. If we're willing to put down the excuses and show God what's in our hand, sometimes we need him to point to it because we've forgotten. (laughs) And all of a sudden, out go the excuses and suddenly in our hand is something that God can use to part waterways, open stuff up so that people can walk into their promise. Let's stand. I want to read this over you, certain parts over you as a form of commissioning. But part of what I, what, part of what I wanted to do today is I wanted to, I want to speak out the spirit and the heart of this stuff so that we get it we get the framework, we get the understanding, but also when we speak it out of Scripture, it has an anointing on it that gets released to you. And all of a sudden, faith starts to rise for some things that you maybe didn't have faith for before you walked into the room. That's why, we, that's why Scripture is such an anchor, because that's what the Word of God does. As it gets spoken out, it has creative power to release something in you. But I also wanted to give you a bit of a practical picture. We've talked about this Transformation Centre for ages, and you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm getting sick of waiting. I think it's time. And it doesn't, doesn't, we can rent rooms just about anywhere and we can run workshops, you know, for a few Tuesday nights or, th- or whatever nights that can start to make a difference. We don't have to keep waiting anymore. But this has got to be a team effort. This has got to be an us thing. It can't just be Tim, Deb and a few of us thinking this is great. This is, this is us as a community doing two things. One, taking our anointing and what's in our hands seriously and deliberately pointing it out at people and saying, God, today, as I go off, you know, the Great Commission, in your going, disciple nations. The, 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 the tense of it is not I'm go. It's like, as you are going, it's assuming that you're already going. In your going, do this. And I feel like it's like that. In your going, as you go out and go about your normal life, God, bring me across the people that I can help. Open up the doors. Give me divine encounters. Yeah, divine, what do we call Divine appointments with people that need what I have in my hand. 
And would you give me the words to say? That's that, that's that bit. But then there's this partnership together where what you do is you go and what we can do together start to come together that all of a sudden we're not just healing one, two, we're healing a whole community. So I want to read this over you again as a commissioning. Firstly, of what you receive. Like I said, you need to be healed, not just because you need to be healed. You need to be healed because it gives you a story and it gives you an anointing to go and wreak havoc on what the enemy has done for generations. So let me read this over you as a commissioning. I don't know if you want to put your hand on your heart, put your hands out. Um, it's like Charles has been given a new royal commission, um, yeah, royal commissioning. And I feel like we're, we are in this process where we are being commissioned afresh to look out. Yes, the journey of the heart continues for us individually and that increases our anointing. I had prayer ministry myself this week. <laughs> this is an ongoing journey for me. It doesn't stop. Just because I happen to lead a church doesn't mean I don't have stuff. This is all of us. So let me read this as a commissioning. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to, ca- to the captives, to open prison doors of those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendour. And then those oaks, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They shall repair the ruined cities that have been desolated for many generations. Because you have received a double dose of shame and dishonour, you will inherit a double portion of endless joy and everlasting bliss. So Father, we accept that as our commission. I just want just for a moment, just have a conversation with with you and the Father. And if that's your heart, to say, God, I accept that commission. Help me. (laughs) Help me. Empower me. Father, we accept that commission and we just say, God, help us. For some of us, it's as simple as I need language. I'm ready to go. I want to do this. I just don't know what to say without sounding stupid or looking stupid. And interestingly, when you don't feel looking stupid, it's amazing how you find what to say. But God, would you give us words? Would you give us strategies? Would you show us what is in our hand? And God, we willingly offer up that which is in our hand that it might be used for your glory. God, those things that you have done in us, those areas where you have healed us, where you have moved us forward, where you have given us breakthrough. God, we say, we give what's in our hand and we say, use it for your glory. God, would you attract to us the situations that need what we carry? And Father, together as a community, we ask afresh, we say yes to the call that you'll put on us to heal the brokenhearted. Father, give us wisdom, give us insight and give us favour everywhere we need it to do that well in such a way that the community looks in and goes, I am so glad you guys are here. I don't know where we would be without you. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Father. And God, let your spirit come upon us afresh with that apostolic sending. You have been sent to heal the brokenhearted. 
but you have been sent, empowered and anointed and equipped. So go in boldness, go in courage. And God, we thank you in advance for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen.